So if I can, just a quick moment of personal privilege since I, I get to preach this morning. Um, it, it, it was not lost on me that a year ago this time you received a letter informing you about my uh, transition away from TCPC and uh, forming a new organization. And, and I just want to say thank you. It has, it has been amazing. The Lord has blessed our work and uh, soon publicly we will be able to share uh, what God has accomplished for his glory and the good of our state that we all love. But I just wanted to say thank you uh, while I can to, to you, to the church, um, not just for your support and love that I have felt overwhelmingly, but also just for continuing to welcoming, welcome us. Um, people, people ask me when they hear about my transition, people ask me all the time, wait, so you're still attending TCPC? How's that work? And my answer every time is like, you just don't know my church. It, it's not my church. It's my family. And we have felt that. So thank you so much for the way you have continued to love my family and me. Mark was set to preach on Philippians, obviously, the passage uh, that he will, uh, I, I suppose, deliver next week was, it's all about, uh, joy. this is the theme of all of Philippians, but particularly in the passage he'll be preaching, is all about joy despite our circumstances. That's a big uh, theme in Philippians. Paul is imprisoned, uh, doesn't know what's going to happen, facing potential death, and yet he writes this letter uh, that's filled with joy and that comes up a lot in the passage that Mark was set to preach. And so I'm not going to preach that passage, but I, I, I went through my files. Yes, this is a reuse. He told me yesterday, so sorry. Uh, so if you, if you remember this sermon from over five years ago, good job. But I'm assuming this will be new to most of you. Um, to find a, a passage in a sermon that fits the same thing, theme of our liturgy and the idea of joy despite our circumstances, and I landed here. So in our passage, Jesus himself is facing, obviously, the worst of worst circumstances, the worst circumstance the world will ever know, his cross, which is before him. And in his departing words to his disciples, he speaks of joy. Cross is near, and he wants to talk to them about joy. Things are about to get really bad for him, obviously, and for his disciples. But he does not view those circumstances as a threat to joy. It is a threat to joy as we tend to define joy. But what Jesus does in our passage is he redefines joy in such a way that joy then becomes unshakable, impermeable to any and all circumstances. So let's look at it together in three ways. We're going to see the struggle of joy, the source of joy, and the striving for joy. So struggle, source, and striving. Let's start by admitting that, yes, joy is a struggle for us. Verse 16, it sets up a tension. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. Now listen to verse 17 and 18, and tell me if you can relate to their response. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. I found that so relatable. They're panicking is, is what's happening. You can feel them uh, frantically grasping for some semblance of, of control or at least clarity in the situation, which is honestly what we all tend to do. 
Their response is our response when we feel our joy is threatened. A little while, you're going to be gone. A little while, what do you mean by a little while? What's a little while? What are you talking about, Jesus? Explain. It's what we've all been conditioned to do in this fallen world of elusive joy. There is a trend. Uh, there is a trend these days to define joy as something other than what it is, which is happiness, an emotion of feeling happy. <laughs> That's the meaning of the word in Greek. That's the meaning of the word in English. That's the meaning in every language because it is the meaning of joy. But what is popular these days is to say that happiness is this frivolous, trivial emotion that comes and goes with circumstances and we shouldn't necessarily be concerned with. But joy is this this deep, unaffected conviction that cannot be moved or shaken. That's untrue. This line of thinking, what it is, is a coping mechanism to deal with how fragile joy is in this fallen world. It's so difficult to find and maintain that we're just going to give up and redefine it as something that it isn't. But friends, don't give up on joy. You were made, you were designed by God in the original design before the fall. He made image bearers to be happy, to feel happy. Don't give up on that dream, even though I admit, and the Bible absolutely admits, that joy is a real struggle for us all. Loneliness, sadness, disappointment, regrets, fears, shame, guilt, these emotions are what come natural to the fallen human experience. But joy, joy is unnatural in our fallen world. It's a real struggle. And when we do find it, just like our disciples in this text, our fear to lose it can overshadow it. I love how honest and humanizing the disciples are in the passage. The the, the desperation, the fear, the uncertainty, the panic over losing Jesus. What do you mean by a little while? How long's a little while? Help us understand. Explain, explain, explain. Well, Jesus has an answer for them and for us, an answer to our struggle with joy, but his answer is a redefinition of joy, not necessarily of what it is, but of where it comes from. So let's look at that, the source of joy. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he began, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't answer the question they want him to ask. They want a little while defined. But he leaves them in their uncertainty. Instead, he gives them the promise that joy is going to return. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's speaking of his coming cross, which is very near at this point in the story. 
that day when followers of Jesus wept and lamented, while the world who crucified this Messiah who was causing such a stir in the ancient world, the world rejoiced. But his promise is that sorrow will turn into joy. That, of course, is the resurrection, when Jesus surprised the world by the triumph of joy. So as it turns out, a little while is truly a little while in our terms. Just three days, to be precise. Now, we know that now, but they didn't. He leaves them in the dark. Why? Because the control and clarity they seek are not the source of joy. That's what we think will bring joy. If we can just get our circumstances exactly the way we want them, we will be happy. That's what I mean by control. Or if they are not how we want them, but we understand why and what's going on and the bigger picture behind it all, we will be happy. That's what I mean by clarity. Either circumstances are exactly like we want them, control, or at least we understand why they are not like we want them, clarity. But Jesus offers neither. He sees it differently. What is the source of joy according to Jesus? He introduces his answer with a one-verse parable, 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So the imagery is obvious. The anguish and pain of labor is overwhelmed and even forgotten with the arrival of the baby. So contrary to what we are often told regarding joy, it actually is circumstantial. It is. Something happens that makes you feel happy. But his point is that there is a joyful circumstance that has the ability to transcend, thus transform all other circumstances. I obviously have not experienced childbirth, but as a four-time outside observer, it seemed like it was pretty unpleasant. That's what Abby told me. But the happiest I have ever seen my wife is that moment. My wedding day. Um, Give me that. But (laughs) I hope. The happiest I've ever seen my wife is that moment when the nurse takes our newborn and hands him to her for the first time. All four times the experience was the same. The worst agony gives way to the greatest joy. And that's the point Jesus is making. Verse 22 so also, so he just told a little parable about, the, about giving birth. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Jesus will die, but then rise, and they will see him again. And Jesus views his resurrection as the baby. The joyful circumstance that transcends all mournful circumstances. And indeed, that's the point. Jesus himself is the joy that transcends and transforms all painful circumstances. Or to put it more specifically, the circumstance 
of having Jesus overwhelms and overcomes any and all other circumstances. But then Jesus says something phenomenal. And no one will take your joy from you. Seeing me, having me, will be a joyful circumstance that overcomes every circumstance and no one will take your joy in me from you. This is a unique joy that we are not used to. Although Jesus does view joy as circumstantial, he also views it as a circumstance that cannot change, which is the problem with happiness, is it not? This is what we struggle with. It's fleeting. It's one changed circumstances away from coming undone. One moment that could happen this afternoon and the joy and happiness of your life are lost. But Jesus says, no one will take this joy from you, this joy being me. How is that possible? Having Jesus, seeing Jesus is a circumstance that changed for the disciples, right? After the resurrection, what happens? His ascension. And they would see him no more. And we ourselves have never seen him physically. And yet he talks about himself as a joy that cannot be taken. Well, the context of this passage is is crucial to understanding its meaning. Jesus has been explaining the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He needed to make sure they understood the Holy Spirit's work after he dies, rises, and ascends. He says, it is good that I am going to leave you because in leaving you, I can be with you in a way I could not be if I were to remain. I can actually be with each of you as if I were only with you. The Spirit is the multiplication of the presence of Jesus within us all, an irrevocable, unchangeable, immutable circumstance in the life of the believer. Simply put, by his Holy Spirit, we have Jesus at all times. Meaning, we have, at all times, the circumstance of joy that transcends all other circumstances. Via his Holy Spirit, you have the joy of Jesus, and he cannot be taken from you. Which raises the obvious dilemma that I'm not going to pretend to hide from. I don't feel joy. Where is this happiness that cannot be taken from me? If I always have it, then why don't I always feel it? If what Jesus promises here is true, why don't I always experience that promise? Well, something interesting about this passage is that Jesus says, nobody can take your joy from you. And then look at the end of his teaching in verse 24, that your joy may be full. It's something that we have and cannot be taken from us, but it's also something that we can have more of. As if we have as if we have yet fully appropriated that which is always ours, or to put it another way, it is a joy that we must work to enjoy. Let's close an application by looking at a striving for joy. 23, and that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, You have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, interestingly, 
Interestingly, Jesus turns to prayer in his discussion of joy. But these verses are so often misinterpreted. Here is how we are tempted to understand them. Prayer is the means to get what you want from God. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he's going to give it to you. Ask, you'll receive, that your joy may be full. So, pray for what you want. God will give you what you want, and you'll be happy. That turns joy back into the very definition that Jesus has redefined away from. That turns joy back into having control and clarity over our circumstances. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, fix my circumstances so I can be happy. But Jesus has already redefined the source of joy as himself. So, how do we approach these verses in light of his redefinition? The disciples have had Jesus with them, conversing with him, doing life together. They had the physical, immediate presence of Jesus, but exclusively Jesus. And Jesus is actually going to say there is more to have than even him. Verse 23, look at the change that's about to take place. In that day, meaning after he has ascended and he is gone, in that day you will ask nothing of me. In other words, the days of doing life together with you talking to me, asking me, and me answering and doing things for you, those days are about to be over. But because of the Spirit, a different day is dawning. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That is, you won't be asking me. You'll be asking the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. Because of the Spirit in my name, you now have direct access to God the Father He says in verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name, meaning you've always just asked me directly, but now you will be asking in my name, and he sees that as better. Or as he puts it, that your joy may be full. Here's the point. Jesus says, until now you've had me, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait until you have the Trinity. You have access to me, just wait So you have access to what I have always had access to. At the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, there was this powerful and beautiful moment of what must have been fullness of joy for Jesus. It says that the heavens opened up, the Spirit descends upon Jesus, and the Father's voice from heaven says this, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That must have been amazing for those who got to see it. But more amazing must it have been for Jesus who experienced it. A Trinitarian moment of sheer, eternal, unending ecstasy and pleasure. How happy do you think Jesus was in that moment? As happy as the Trinity has eternally been forever delighting in his own presence, which was described in our Old Testament reading as the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. So that Psalm 16, fullness of joy, 
and pleasure forevermore is what Jesus is promising you in this passage. You've had me, and I know that's been amazing, but much better is to have my name. Because in my name, you have the Spirit and direct access to the Father who now looks at you and says, that's my child with whom I am well pleased. In the Greek, that's my child with whom I am happy with. The joy of you knowing God is happy with you. There is no other joy like it. You have been enfolded into what Jesus has always known, the fullness of joy, the pleasure of triune fellowship. These verses aren't about the joy of praying and getting what you want. These verses are about the joy of prayer itself. That is, when we define prayer as communion with God by the Spirit in the name of Jesus to the Father, this is the fullness of joy we are after. So the greater point Jesus is saying is that you have had me directly, but soon you will have the Trinity directly. And that, he says, is your fullness of joy. God is not a means to an end. He is the end of joy. He is not the way you get better circumstances, which will then make you happy. He is the circumstance that makes you happy. So here's the application. The source of this triune, heavenly, with you I am well-pleased joy is yours. You have access to it right now. Strive to experience your joy. Are you happy? Are you happy? You have access to God. Strive after God. Make it your highest ambition in life to practice the presence of God. To my friends who are resisting God this morning, have you considered that your endless quest for circumstances that will make you happy is a vain quest? Have you even considered that? Have you considered the emptiness of if I could just have blank, I will finally be happy, fill in the blank for you. There is something right now, a changed circumstance that has a hold of your heart and dominates your mind in such a way that you are convinced if I could just have it, I will finally be happy. But let me be honest with you, if I may, out of love. That circumstance will, be, will prove to be just like all the past circumstances you thought would finally be the answer to your quest and prove not to be. It may yield some joy, but not fullness of joy. Instead, you will simply move on to another circumstantial obsession. Okay, that didn't work, but now if I just have that, that will work. Okay, that didn't work. Well, if I could just have that, it will work. At some point, you need to heed the lesson of fleeting joy. And instead, open yourself up to the plausibility that a relationship with God is the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore that you are seeking. He is the end of your frustrating quest for joy. 
He is what every longing of your heart is longing for. He is what every single one of your desires desires. Oh, that you would give up and just give in to the ultimate contentment being offered to you in Jesus. But listen, this, to my Christian brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, you have Jesus by his spirit along with access to the Father. My admonition is to not neglect that. That begins first with your repentance of that which is hindering your presence, your experience of his presence of joy. Friends, let's not overcomplicate this. It really isn't that complicated. Repent. You're not going to experience the joy of God's presence viewing pornography. You're just not. You're not going to experience the joy of God's presence harboring bitterness in your heart towards another. It's impossible. You're not going to experience the joy of God's presence greedily, selfishly hoarding your money for just more pleasure and stuff. You're not going to experience God's presence pridefully promoting yourself all your days, lying and deceiving your way through life. I'm sorry, but indulgence of sin makes life miserable, no matter how great your circumstances may be. Have you noticed that, by the way? Everything can be great in your life, but you just can't find that elusive joy. Just this emptiness. Why? Have you considered it might be the sin you are unwilling to give up that is poisoning and polluting everything? But the opposite is likewise true. It's not just repentance, but the pursuit of God's presence. Yes, in prayer that Jesus singles out here, you pray so that your joy may be full, as he says, but also in scripture, fellowship, corporate worship, Have you noticed the opposite of what I just spoke of? Circumstances can be horrific. But if you are faithfully laboring in these means of God's presence, that joy seems to have this peculiar ability to transcend every circumstance. This is why we are often the happiest when life is the hardest. It's a counterintuitive reasoning of Scripture, but it's true. God promises that he is near the broken hearted. Why? It's the broken hearted who have been stripped of everything but God. And only to discover that God was all they needed all along. Harboring sin, failing to practice the presence of God robs us even of the best circumstances. Likewise, repentance of sins and practicing the presence of God transcends even the worst circumstances with this peculiar joy. Simply put, my circumstances could be amazing. Without communion with God, I am unhappy. Likewise, my circumstances could be terrible, but in communion with God, I am happy. So the promise of the passage is that joy is, in fact, yours. It is, and no one can take it as Jesus promised. So why don't we have joy? Well, the challenge of the passage is that we must strive to experience what is already ours in Christ Jesus, the presence of God. And you know what? That makes God really happy too. Why did Jesus accept the misery of the cross? There's no worse circumstance than Golgotha's horror. Why 
did he accept the misery of the cross? Why did he willingly embrace the title, Man of Sorrows Acquainted with Grief? Well, the easy answer that you've heard many times, been around Christianity, is that Jesus suffered for you. It was for you, and this is true. Jesus suffered sorrow to purchase our joy. But you know, it's not all about us. Jesus wants in on joy. Jesus wants joy too. So you know why Jesus was willing to be miserable? So that he could be happy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? What was the joy that transcends the greatest circumstantial misery the world has ever known? You, more specifically, your joy in him makes him joyful. Strive for joy, not just for you, but for Jesus. What makes Jesus happy? You being happy in Jesus makes Jesus happy. Therefore, give Jesus the joy that led him to the cross. Make Jesus happy by striving to be happy in Jesus. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. We, it, it sounds so good in church. It sounds so right when we hear it proclaimed and we leave here into a world competing with lies that joy is found here and here and here and here when we know we are convicted, we know joy is in you, our Savior, and in the presence of God. Lord, would we leave here with fresh repentance and fresh motivation, ready again to renounce our sins and pursue our God. Maybe as even in the first hour we believed this rekindled love and joy in you that doesn't make sense to the world but makes sense to those who are in Christ Jesus. Make us happy in you as you have promised Jesus. We love you. We thank you that you endured the cross for the joy set before you. And that joy was our joy in you. May we give you the reward of your suffering and pursue you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now, Jesus, in light of that, we come to you And we pray as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.